David A. Price presents... Hello, folks. Welcome to Marvel Noise, episode 420. I'm your hippy-dippy host, Steve Raker, down in the world-renowned comic book bunker, my own sanctum sanctorum, podcasting in a trance-like state with summertime finally fading and fall-facing front. Marvel Noise is the semi-monthly podcast proudly sponsored by nobody. That's two times a month if you're a DC reader. Our scope is all things Marvel, with a particular fondness for and fascination with the Bronze Age. I mean, me at least. You can find, listen to, stream, and download episodes past and present over on marvelnoise.com and get new episode announcements, give us feedback, and see images and stuff on our Facebook and Twitter X pages. You can find other fine podcasts from our hero for hire, Derek Coward, and his Deliberate Noise Network, that include Indie Comic Book Noise, which is our sister show where we talk about indie comics. And we're coming up on our 10-year anniversary at the helm of that show. Hard to believe, even for a Drew believer. WWX Kevin and Andrew the LA Rabbit will join me in a bit, but as is customary around these parts, the host is supposed to share a recent read recommendation or two. First up is Amazing Spider-Man number 34, Written by Zeb Wells, with art by Pat Gleason, with a John Romita Jr. cover that's got like half Spidey and half Green Goblin head all shattered. Pretty cool looking. In the last issue, Craven the Hunter used a spear that was enchanted with Norman Osborn's badness, which he doesn't have these days, making for a weird dynamic. Like, who'd have thought two of Spidey's best friends would be Norman Osborn and J. Jonah Jameson, as they are in the current continuity? Well, Craven, although it's Craven's son, who thinks he's his father, and we're supposed to as well with a wink, right? But Craven hunted Norman and wanted to return him to his goblin-esque ways. But Spider-Man took the bullet for him, getting hit with a spear, and now he carries around all of the Goblin's bad mojo. So, I mean, that's kind of comic booky. And issue 34 has this altered Spider-Man uh, intensely, for lack of a better word, taking out Craven, beating the snot out of Norman, and then going after Mary Jane and her bow from Dimension Z or whatever. It's a well-paced, action-packed-ish. Duff said. I also just read the Uncanny Spider-Man number one, written by Cy Spurrier with art by Lee Garbett, which has, as part of the Fall of X status quo change with the X-Men on the run, this book has Nightcrawler in New York City hiding in plain sight as another Spider-Verse type Spider-Man character. This first ish sees him take down some Spidey-level crooks, I mean, they weren't expecting a Spider-Man with a tail and a soul sword thing, but that's what they got. And he has to dodge Stark Sentinels and uh, in the first ish, consult some with Spidey on being Spidey. Well, while hiding, he's a mutant. 
the issue ends with a certain white-haired female bounty hunter on his trail. Wild how they pack so much into this first ish. See what I did there? Worth checking out. I'm sure this status quo won't last long, so get it while it's hot. Alright, one more. The new Black Panther series is up to issue 4 already, so I thought it was time to give it a go. Written by Eve L. Ewing. Wait, what? Evil? With art by Chris Allen and Craig Young, and really stunning colors by Jesus Arbatov. It's, it's taking place inside Wakanda, where we've always seen the royals in the capital city, but this new book has the dethroned, exiled Black Panther operating as a vigilante protector in the Wakandan city Birnin T'Chaka, which is something at a Blade Runner with neon-dominant streets, piping running all overhead, tram car trains running. It's urban sprawl in exaggerated, amped-up Wakandan fashion. It's like the Gotham of Wakanda. Side note. I guess it didn't take too long after dethroning T'Challa and setting up a democracy for there to be an inner-city situation like this. But T'Challa is supposed to be in exile, so he's not even supposed to be here today. But he is, and he's doing his thing. From the shadows, well, there's not really many shadows that exist in this bright and colorful city. The colors on this book are nothing short of psychedelic which actually is perfect for this episode 420, right? He encounters a black cat analog in issue 2, but she's black and wears white. And we get to see, and seldom do, Nightshade makes a cameo, cameo appearance. And while I was pretty excited at the covers of issue 3 and 4 depicting Deathlock, one of my favorite characters, the original Luther Manning Deathlock at least, but here we get one of the worst mishmashed versions of Deathlock ever. The computer terminal next to him while he's in stasis shows a bald black guy in military honor dress with like medals and such. And the other two images are takeoffs on the covers of Captain America 286 and 287, which was the Luther Manning Deathlock. But he was a white guy with hair. He was a military man, yeah, but if they're, like, somehow merging him with that second Deathlock, the pacifist computer programmer Michael Collins, who was black, that kind of takes away from the whole Luther Manning having a black wife and that being the first, like, mixed marriage of its type in comics. Then they revamp Deathlock into all black armor. <sighs> and arm him with these, like, laser swords that emanate off his wrists, it really, it felt like 1997. Deathlock is there as a weapon in a gang war that the Black Panther will have to deal with in town. There's some both cool and corny stuff in this series so far, but it's worth a look, especially when it's up on the Marvel Unlimited digital service. Alright, I'm good. And now for something completely different. And so, as promised, I've got Andrew the L.A. Rabbit and the Whirlwind X Kevin here. 
say hi at the same time. <laughs> Hello, Andrew. What? I'm not saying that you're the one that always goofs up people's intros, not oh, me. Mom liked you best. <laughs> now, in looking for some comics with like a surrealistic element to goof on for a 420 theme for this 420th episode, the first book we came upon is Space Punisher. I mean, I think that's Space Colon Punisher, Steve. <laughs> That's the part I love the most. It's space colon space Punisher. And I'm like, shouldn't it be space Punisher space? You know, make it a little fancier. It's a four issue limited series from the fall of 2012. Written by Frank Thierry with, I think, really beautiful painterly art by Mark Texeria, who is a acquaintancy pal of mine. I think there's up, a Steve. story behind this. <laughs> this is really, I, I was really glad you selected this. This was a perfect, tonal, fun, goofy. Texier is a great fit for we're really going outside the box here. And that's what I think. The Punisher is a weird dude because he doesn't fit in every scenario. Right. And I think one scenario fits in great is the Bronze Age where he's from because the Bronze Age can encompass contradictions like, Lots of people being brutally murdered, yet this guy shoots mercy bullets and silly stuff like that. <laughs> or this, where it's so out out of the box and crazy that his weird uh, one-track mind fits beautifully, dovetails perfectly with it. But I don't know that like your regular modern comic book, it always feels hard to squeeze Punisher into like a bog-standard Avengers book now. You know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Are you I mean, sure not they to weren't knock... at a bar when they came up with this? And like, <laughs> what if we do this story? We can do whatever we want. We'll get Marvel to pay us. Okay, who do you want to draw? I mean, it, it doesn't require any heavy lifting to get into this one. It's the Punisher in space, 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 right? <laughs> and so it's like that old Nick Fury Starenko cover come to life, but with the Punisher in the lead. It's a what-if type tale in a reality where all of the Marvel characters are outer space-based. Oh, and it is on the Marvel Unlimited, too. You gotta check this out, just because it's so... It really is pretty to look at, and it's uh, extremely graphic, like a Max book, too, as far as the blood and guts and stuff, and uh, us just telling you some of the components of it uh, doesn't... Well, doesn't do it justice. It... There, the deal is there's uh, an interstellar uh, crime syndicate, the Six-Fingered Hand, that killed Frank Castle's family, and he's after them for revenge. It's as simple as that. And the Six-Fingered Hand, at least at first, seems to be made up of space versions of Dr. Octopus, the Green Goblin, the Red Skull, Ultron... Magneto and a venomized brood queen. That's right. It's a sleezoid with a symbiote. It's a weird choice. <laughs> In the first issue, it has Frank hunting down the brood queen in one of those space whale cruiser things, you know, that they travel around in. It looks like he has his own toy 
Punisher spaceship. I like that they went for that retro spacesuit where he just has the clear plastic bubble. Oh, which yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's I mean that's feels easy. very Flash Gordon. Yeah, and it would and this, that's what I mean by that like Starankoe shield cover look, right? With the big the big bubble thing. It, it looks cool. He also goes after information from the space Barracuda. Uh, the the Barracuda was a um recurring bad dude character in the Punisher Max series of the aughts and uh, enough that he had one maybe two different limited series of his own uh, but here is a space version of him where he's quite fishy and it's cool too in the bar there's Boba Fett and Thanos and Blastar and Annihilus all in the crowd I, well, I also stuff. love his uh, his support staff his sentient ship, Maria, uh, named after the wife, of course. And then he has a small childlike robot, Chip, who also has a Punisher outfit. <laughs> and the Punisher kind of needs, he's best if he has a war, like something to bounce off. Yes, you know, war sure. journal or yeah. microchip. Or, so that allows him to have these two. And because they're robots, they can be pretty straightforward and easily the straight man instead of being horrified or turned off or whatever so it, it's a good formula to give him someone to bounce quips off of i mean he gives quips but he has a quip after he kills a lot of people too so you need someone to hear that quip no yeah you're right i mean he even when he's guest star started out as a guest star before he had his own book um in other people's books he, it would be like daredevil or spider-man that he'd be bouncing you know back and forth with or you know, the the, uh, the girl he's saving or something, you know what I mean? And trying to get out of harm's way. He might be talking to as he's trying to get her out of uh, whatever predicament they're in or that kind of thing. He does need somebody to talk to for sure. Um, and uh, the chip, his robot, has a face based off of his dead son too. So that's his, um, you know, uh, neuroses at work there where he's got his ship and his kid. Uh, his robot named after his wife and kid. And who doesn't want the Punisher in a cape? I mean, that's what you guys have been waiting for, right? <laughs> cape Punisher. Um, he fights the space rhino in the first issue and learns who makes up the six-fingered hand so then he can go after the rest of them. And so in the second issue, he fights uh, Sabretooth, Deadpool, and the leader. And we learn of the Space Hulk and see him well we actually don't see him we just hear the the cries of pain and agony of uh space doc samson and his fleet as the space hulk wipes them out the space hulk shows up and evens the odds against the saber-tooth deadpool and the leader and uh frank is able to make his escape here yeah, the one guy, not even uh, Frank Castle, can take care of his Space Hulk, who took out the Fantastic Four in a brutal way. Oh, gosh. Yeah, very, as Steve said, lots of body parts floating all over the place and grim. But then it's offset with some very picturesque Mark Texiera painting of a 
Frank and his wife and his son in a field having a picnic, like <laughs> two pages before three guys got disemboweled. The space. Are you Hulk. sure it's not space colon Hulk? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure he doesn't have two colons because he has two sets of shoulders and arms, which is really unnerving. And when those, when that many Hulk powered fists are coming at you, that's, that's rough. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of a Warlord of Mars or that type of thing. For sure. The end of the second ish, we also learn that the real power behind the six-fingered hand is six watchers. Dun, dun, dun. That was a cool twist. I did not see that coming, guys. I don't know if you did, but I was like, whoa, watchers. Because they foreshadow it right before the reveal with a bunch of other Punishers that you and I know, guys. Like regular Punishers. Not this weird space Punisher. And then it <laughs> yeah. shunts right to the And I'm like, oh, that's a great villain. Come on. Watchers? They're like the ultimate guys behind the guy. <laughs> <laughs> Issue three opens with the Punisher uh, shooting up uh, an endless supply of Hitlers on Scroll World. Yeah, this, this totally reminded me of that Australian TV show. Oh, yeah, and he's also not shooting up. He's just shooting them. <laughs> that would have been weird if he would have been shooting up as he was shooting them. <laughs> a little Hitler never did anybody. Oh, I love the feel of Hitler in the morning. Uh, it's funny, though, in the issue, they call it Skull World. Yeah. In the previous issue, they called it Skrull World, which makes sense because it's they're all shapeshifters looking like Hitler. Uh, it's interesting that they didn't fix this in the Marvel Unlimited version. Oops, well, I mean, maybe it's the Red Skull. Yeah, that's what I thought, is that the Red Skull took it over and renamed it. So that's why oh, he calls well, it that. All right, well, you, that. Get a, you get a no prize then, but then what? they should have <laughs> mentioned that. That Skull World's been renamed Skull World by the Skull. Hmm. Anyway. Uh, the Punisher is brought before... Oh, no, the Space colon Punisher <laughs> is brought before uh, the Four... Uh, who are left of the six enforcers of the six-fingered hand. And there's a pretty clever Trojan horse scenario at play here where Frank gets the upper hand. That that was pretty grisly. I, I really like the scene where the Red Skull gets pissed at his minions and, and breathes the killer red dust on them, Andrew. Yeah, the, I, wish, I only wish he had the cigarette holder. Seem more yes. natural to have that. But Space I mean, Punisher it. just blasts out of his mouth like the Windigo or something. Like bad well, I breath. love the the he kills one with the other. He takes a goblin bomb and stuffs it in the Red Skull's mouth. <laughs> That's a great sequence, right? The skull turns around and he's ready to blow the you've just seen him use it against his minions, so you know it's his move. And he turns to do it to the Punisher and he grabs a a, a pumpkin bomb and shoves it in his mouth. Boom. And in taking uh, those four out, he learns of the Watcher's role. So he goes to Avengers Planet to steal weaponry from their arsenal. And there he meets the security. He has to fight the big bad, Jarvis. What, the AI? No, just regular old little skinny old, not even fat Jarvis. Like, not (laughs) even, it's like skinny old Jarvis. And Jarvis takes it to him that's what i like <laughs> oh yeah he's gonna drop a galactus helmet on him <laughs> and crush him but uh 
Frank gets out of that one with a clever twist, and he is brought before the Watchers, and at the end of the issue, thinks that he has the upper hand by threatening them with the ultimate nullifier. Uh Uh-oh. And it's not a threat, because he clicks it as the issue ends. How about that cover for number four? I love that, right? It's the old buy this comic or I'll shoot this dog uh, cover, but it's buy this comic or I'll shoot this planet, and he's got the earth holding it like it's a like a football. <laughs> and he totally gives Punisher the bodybuilder type, not just like a big guy, but like yeah, totally looks like he works out type of guy. <laughs> sure. In issue four at the beginning, we learn that the six Watchers are rogues who broke their oath and wanted to get involved. And among them is Uatu. It turns out the joke's on Frank, though, regarding the nullifier, because uh, the nullifier is just a ruse. It's Yeah, a... I thought that was a pretty funny way to turn that whole story on its end. Yeah, the That's ultimate the MacGuffin, right? <laughs> But Frank has an ace in the sleeve because he had found out what had drawn the Hulk to them when he was fighting the leader in Deadpool and Sabretooth earlier and had stashed away um, this little homing device or the equivalent of a homing device. Uh, it's like a, a a ping that bothers the Hulk, so he chases it out and he uses it to draw the Hulk there and, I mean, he rips through those Watchers in a jiffy. And I think in this scene, it's it's really uh, exemplified. But all through this four-issue series, I really felt like Thierry and Tex worked wonderfully together. Like, speeding up and slowing down the flow of time, whether it be to do a gag or like a surprise entrance, or like a jump scare, or or in this case, just mayhem happening. Like, you feel the craziness of all of a sudden the Hulk jumping in, and then he's like, boom, smashing two guys' heads together, yanking another guy apart, and it's like, rah, rah, rah. And before you know it, there's his body parts and blood every... Didn't you guys get that feeling as you went through and and feel the the cinematic um, uh, speed change of it? I think so. I mean, it's a little harder to do with um, this amount of pages, but yeah. What I liked was they really laid in about how powerful the Watcher, like how there was nothing Frank was going to be able to do. Like all his little, like they disabled his robot easily. He couldn't shoot. There was nothing he could do to hurt them. And they made it clear and all his plans had failed. So then you're right, Steve, when the Hulk shows up, it's just a page of gore of the Hulk. The forearms I really like, too, because it makes everything extra ridiculous. It sure does. And you can buy that, like, the Watchers, even with all their power, didn't have time to, like, do anything, right? Like, it just happened so fast. And that's hard to convey in a comic book. But I felt like they did it good there, and they did it, like I said, other times, I think, when they did punchlines or um, scene ends and cuts and stuff uh, where they uh, used time well their control of it at the end uh he frank is faced with the hulk there and the banner from inside the hulk begs to be killed and uh, 
emerges from the chest of the Hulk, letting uh, making himself vulnerable, and and Frank does the deed and and blows him up. But uh, <laughs> that doesn't see the, like the Hulk goes on, then just jumps away with like dead Banner hanging out of his open chest. It was what talk about crazy. I don't know that they they added a layer in. Like part of it is, I guess I know that the Punisher is crazy and ridiculous, but there was a thread where the Watchers are like, "Look, we can give you whatever you want, put you on a world with your kids. We serve a function. Why we want to intervene is not for bad reasons, but for good reasons. We keep everything running because we're behind the scenes, and so by killing them." You know, it's going to derail this system. I mean, we see that in a, that's a pretty common, you know, hey, if you try to take down the robot that runs everything, then, you know, everything will fall apart. And Westworld had that whole thing too with theirs. So it's a common thing, but I didn't mind it, but I also felt like, you know, we don't really need it. In this <laughs> like, I just enjoyed on this fun little roller coaster. Yeah. But I don't know. I could see why they wanted to put something of substance in, but it just, I don't know. I was like, I was just enjoying it. Well, I think that's what left it. Oh, they were leaving it open for a potential sequel, um, which it's a shame we never got because they had mentioned all like why uh, Jarvis was the only um, security on Avengers planet is because the Avengers were off fighting the Kree Skrull war. And at the very end of this series in the last issue, we see the space adventures uh, winning that war and how they win the war is they decided to just annihilate both sides, which is pretty brutal. Um, But it seems like now they're going to, because everything's, they they get word that everything's gone to hell that, you know, again, the controls are gone. Like you said, Andrew. Um, So that, this story may have been going somewhere. It just never went there, but it was a good enough place to end it. Cause this is the end of the story for Frank, at least. Yeah. yeah. And Oh, believe me, when I saw that end teaser, like you said, I was like, Oh, I need to find this, uh, Avengers, right. <laughs> Space <laughs> colon Avengers. <laughs> yeah, right. but, <laughs> but I, I thought it was cause it's a real fun. Obviously they get to redesign these guys too. I mean, we don't see a lot of all of them, but you see Thor, Iron Man, Captain America, Hawkeye, Scarlet Witch, Vision, Wasp. Like, you get to see Quicksilver, a good chunk of them. Ant-Man has an ant head. With (laughs) this whole fun undertone and some of the humor that's in the book, I really got a bit of, like, a cosmic Ghost Rider vibe out of this, Kevin, you know? And and it's, which is extra funny because the cosmic Ghost Rider is Frank Castle, right? I mean, spoiler yeah, I, I definitely thought about that after the end of the story. But I don't entirely vibe on the Cosmic Ghost Rider, and it's sort of similar with this story. And it's it's weird. Like, usually people say with things, oh, you know, they, they obviously meant to do this or do that. And I'm like, I, I usually go, ah, I guess you could say that, but I didn't see it. And then I thought with this, it also seemed like it, it could have been like a Max or a Max Plus. Yes. Like book, because I'm like, I, I feel like the Hulk would have been naked in this story. Like it it was weirdly <laughs> constrained in that way. Like I, I like it seemed like they 
they were intended to to do more or have the Punisher swearing or whatever. And it's like they went to certain places, but it seemed like pl- there were other places they didn't go to. That's fair. <laughs> I can see that, but I also think it's fun op- keeping this open to people. Like it's a pretty basic concept right. to grab. So, but yeah. if you put it under Max or whatever, like, yeah, I mean, I guess a lot of people wouldn't want their 14 year old or whatever reading it, but it's not like if they're watching violent movies or whatever, this isn't. I mean, they're drawings of people, aliens and robots and Heck, weird I... creatures getting destroyed. Well, it, yeah. I mean, it already it already seems like it's like parental advisory. Like, it seems like yeah. it's already up a level, con- like, compared to the regular stuff. But yeah, I don't know. And then I was thinking, well, did they have like a one shot or like a backup story in an annual? It, it just seems like there's more, even if there's just a, like a little bit like eight pager or something somewhere. Well, the visuals sure were fun, even if you just enjoy the book on that level. And the designs are cool, right? Like the Ant-Man with the ant head and everything. And like Doc Ock has like alien octopus legs, like lower body and things. Like it just made me think of that old like um, hero villain um, monster maker kind of a thing with the different plates that you can <laughs> put on, you know what I mean? On the, on the plastic yeah, tray. Um, and you know, you'd always use the octopusy legs, you know, and everything. Ooh just fun seemed like a couple of guys having fun um and uh as the reader so did i yeah also perfect four issues is great like didn't need this to be yes 12 issues glad it was more than like one or like a big one shot they they used the space well and it was a good amount of time that being said like avengers federation coming 2024 i'd definitely read it (laughs) Well, if there's one takeaway, I could tell you that it goes to show you, time and time again, punishment is a dish best served in space, 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 space. (laughs) Okay, next up is some altered reality Doctor Strange style. In a now Bronze Age classic from Doctor Strange number one and two, and four and five from 1974, issue number three was a reprint. Yeah, in the issue number three in the Masterworks, they just include that um, framing sequence. Yeah, they did it's like a, a pretty one-page. sweet reprint, by the way. Like we don't need to just shuffle. Oh, it's just some reprint. I mean, it's a classic. <laughs> it's you know yeah. Lee Ditko and Dormammu and everything and. The the cover is awesome. Seeing a Brunner rendition of Dormammu. Yeah, and maybe at the time you hadn't read that issue, so you know you'd have been like, "Cool." It's not like we had access to the back issues now, or back then, like we do now. You know, so yeah. This these issues were written by serialistic Steve Englehart, with art by fantastical Frank Brunner and Dick Giordano inking. It's the Silver Dagger arc that was reprinted in the first Doctor Strange special edition in 1982. Remember those with the really white Baxter paper and the wraparound covers? This one had a wraparound yeah, cover was... by Bernie Wrightson. Yeah, I was thinking that 
I remember that name, Separate Reality, so I'm thinking it's been reprinted a few times. Yeah, it's also reprinted in a Marvel Masterworks, Marvel Essentials, Epic Collections, and even its own A Separate Reality trade paperback, Kevin, from 2002. Here we go. (laughs) Issue number one is titled Through an Orb Darkly, which is a take on the title of an Ingmar Bergman Oscar-winning 1961 film Through a Glass Darkly that detailed the descent of this schizophrenic woman and her family. And there's like a spiritualistic angle to it too, but uh, it's a pretty wild Swedish film. And the issue opens with Doc and Clea kind of debriefing from the last adventure, and they're doting on each other, and the dialogue is pretty bad, but it's important to establish like what she means to him before what comes next. Plus, we get to see... I know Andrew's going to like this sequence coming up, too, because there's a rabbit. Well, I was just going to say that they need to, first of all, explain that Clea doesn't look like she is going to look in issue uh, three, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) They've kind of, you know, toned her down a little bit. But, yeah, it's good to see what, like, with Doctor Strange, it's a number one. Like, what's what's the situation? Is he Sorcerer Supreme? Does he have a disciple? Is it Clea? Is it Rintra? What's going on with Wong? Like, we need to know which Doctor Strange this is. And this is the Clea is his apprentice. She's very beginning magic. So not very skilled at all. Unlike, you know, and that's in her path. And Wong is kind of classic Wong, not really using a lot of his own magical beans. So, you know, I like setting that table. Like, we don't know. We knew she's from the Dark Dimension and everything, but we don't know her lineage that that Umar is her mother yet and that she's one of the Faultine, so we don't know how really powerful she is. But what's cool about this opening sequence, as you're dealing with, you know, their lovey-dovey stuff, is you get to see Brunner's rendition of, like, the furniture and, like, all the knickknacks and Doc's sanctum, which is cool the rain i love too it's like a rainy moody evening that he captures brilliantly the whole issue is kicked off with that iconic image of strange through the sanctum's window with his hand on the orb and everything love that so the mansion gets attacked infiltrated by this dude calling himself the silver dagger he's out to destroy all magic users demons he calls them but you know he uses magic and sorcery to do it kevin (laughs) Yeah, I was like, oh, that old chestnut, destroy all magic, but I'm going to use it. And then I'm like, he has that, like, that dagger. And I'm like, if you're thinking that you're going after demons, and you're using a demon dagger, I'm like, I'm not 100% sure if you're always going to be successful, because if you think they are something and they aren't, I mean, like, you know, I would watch that. Well, I also like Silver Dagger. More like Silver Daddy with that half shirt and big muscly <laughs> arms and everything. This guy could be a fan favorite of a certain segment, I'm saying. <laughs> he could be one of the village people. <laughs> <laughs> but I like his whole, I like that he's the Silver Dagger. That Silver Daggers are to kill the werewolf and all that. That it, it's a It's a good enough character. <laughs> I also yeah, well, like the, the effect where his eyeballs are coming out of his head. 
I mean, he's also muscly enough to take out Wong with like one kick to the gut. Like, yeah, he's not just some old magic user, dude. He's hitting the gym. Yeah. Don't you feel sorry for Wong though? He's like, oh, I'll come and oh, one hit and yeah. he's out. <laughs> yup. And then he mesmerizes Clea to his will, and uh, after he turned her bunny bad, and then he steals the eye of Agamotto. And quite literally stabs Doctor Strange in the back while he was, like, meditating in a trance. Then he splits, mentally enslaving Clea and taking her with him. It's a, it's a pretty efficient strike, except that Doc isn't dead yet. It's like, you know, just a flesh wound. Uh, that's why God gave us two lungs, Wong, and all that. Um, the blade was enchanted, though, so Doc is dying. Just not quite yet. He has places to be. <laughs> Strange uses the orb of Agamotto to tune into Clea's location. And she's in chains being interrogated by the Silver Dagger like it's a like it's like the Inquisition and she's getting a good brainwashing, you know, like renounce magic in all its ways, renounce I say, and all that kind of stuff. Then the Silver Dagger manages the seemingly impossible and detects Strange's surveillance and attacks him through the orb with these tentacles, pulling Strange into the center of the orb, which is now um, depicted as a skull. And I love Engelhart's text. Imagine yourself falling, not through space, but through solid, infinite glass into the eye of death itself. Great stuff. And a uh, wonderful use of uh, colors, too, for the night setting. And I mean, that's black and white, but there's lots of, like, purples and greens and yellows and everything. So it's a nice contrast when you have a few black and white images offset with pages of the other one. It really helps it stand out to me. Doc lands on this near barren landscape and, and thinks he might be in the afterlife but he encounters a talking caterpillar sitting on a mushroom, smoking from hey, a hookah. Are you sure he didn't enter, like, the DC universe or something? <laughs> and he informs him that they're trapped inside the orb of Agamotto. It's all very Lewis Carroll, but without the need for a who are you, like, the caterpillar is hip and totally knows who Strange is. Legend has it that Engelhart and Brunner had just seen Alice in Wonderland in the park with Starlin, Milgram, and Weiss, and psychedelics may have been involved. But Doctor Strange won't accept that he's trapped there and tries to best the creature, but that ain't happening. This thing is really powerful. So Strange gets told that he might be able to escape if he travels to the center of the orb, but if he makes it, he's still going to be like minutes away from death from being stabbed. So the caterpillar suggests just staying there and hanging out in the unreality of the orb. Far out, man. <laughs> Trying to get to that center of that Tootsie Pop, Steve. <laughs> Strange, of course, wants out, right? So issue number two is titled A Separate Reality, which is a nice nod to Carlos Castaneda's second book featuring his supposedly true encounters with the Yaki <laughs> shaman sorcerer Don Juan. I read a bunch of those back in the 90s. They're a pretty good chuckle. 
if you want to. I mean, no offense to anyone that believes all that stuff, but I thought they were pretty good, pretty good yarn. My I'm dad not, uh... had them on his shelf, and I started picking them up in the mid-80s and reading them, and I really liked the first three or four books. Um, the, A Separate Reality, that second book, is really good, as is the third one, A Journey to Ixlin. Um, but uh, then it just keeps going and gets crazier, as did the author's life. Yeah, it's a, it's a run. It's also funny, because I feel like it was this hot thing that kind of disappeared like cherry to the gods. It's always fun when they're these big kind of pop culture things that just sort of come and then go. And that's, but, but did it that's go it. away or I think there was enough people who were inspired by that, whether they bought into thinking that it was a nonfiction or a fiction, but like, you know, Obi-Wan Kenobi and all of those meeting the wise man in the desert who gives you some enlightenment that you bring back. I mean, it's sure it's part of the whole hero myth kind of thing too, but it, it really was rekindled in popular culture from Castaneda's Don Juan. But anyway, the issue opens with the Silver Dagger continuing his brainwashing of the shackled Clea, and he's like, "Poor little girl, I know the type. You know, ran away to New York to be a hippie, no money, picked up in Greenwich Village by that." Devil spawns strange, and I'm thinking, wow, does he have it wrong, right? Yep. <laughs> if she, only he knew. She's the one who's the demon here, being from the dark dimension. And also, this issue opens with one of my favorite splash plate page cliches, where the villain is killing the hero, but it's just like a robot or a mannequin made up to look like the hero. But it's so lifelike, right? <laughs> How many times hey, he's got magic. <laughs> I mean, he can make his ma- LMD look even magical. But it's really well. Like, uh, Broner and Giordano have all these wonderful close-ups on faces that are super expressive, contrasting like the kind of fantastical backgrounds that Doctor Strange goes through with the sort of realistic of, uh, of the him kind of torturing her. Yeah, yeah, really well done. None of these pages are mailed in. You know, like, uh, no wonder the one issue was a reprint. I get it. I mean, they were they were putting a lot into the every uh, every panel, really. So the Silver Dagger states his goal is to simply rest, but only after destroying all magic using magic. All magic. Using magic. <laughs> Strange, while seemingly rejecting unreality really steps deep into the woods here. He he gets sucked into and then escapes from one of those space-faring soul eaters and encounters the Silver Surfer. And the Surfer brings him to a castle with this hilarious double-page spread of, of a tea party happening at a big banquet table and present are the Hulk... Nick Fury, the Black Panther, Submariner, Spider-Man, Ant-Man, Hawkeye, who seems to know best to be spilling his tea out, and unconscious under the table are Fawcett Comics' Captain Midnight, who's getting additionally webbed in the face by Spider-Man, and 
the Green Lantern's hand is seen clutching the edge of the table from underneath. That's I thought that was the Green Lantern. I was gonna say I, if I had to guess, um, white gloves with a ring, mm-hmm. a prominent ring on it, with a little Sid. Yeah, I was like, I bet you that's a Green Lantern throw-in. But I didn't know if Bruner worked on Green Lantern or something, and that was some kind of nod was. to his past. It's the Hulk's tea party. And uh, between you and me, guys, I think there was something in that tea. Hmm. I don't see <laughs> Mega Man, though, because Dr. Wily seems to uh, have a pretty good party going here. <laughs> the Queen, who's represented as Valkyrie from the Defenders, tells Strange that he can escape unreality because he's the only one here with a soul. Only he can live or die. And so the Doc makes his choice. He's got to go die. So Strange's quest continues two issues later in Doctor Strange number four, where he comes to the domain of the dying, where these soulless beings are trying to pass through Death's portal, but only Strange can pass through. You know that issue number four is the one I have for a t-shirt, of course. Yeah, me too. (laughs) <laughs> like, like you see that on a wall somewhere and you're like I, I must own that there's a lot of iconic images from these issues I, I feel like one on a t-shirt as well Marvel Noise should collect all the segments where we have all the, like the fake Hulks Robot Hulk and <laughs> Ghost Hulk and all, like, <laughs> I feel like we've, we're always running into like not the real McCoy, but for some reason the Hulk is the most copied kind of crazy character. But again, another uh, the here uh, Bruner and Diagerno give uh, give uh, Valkyrie's horse the most like violent like get it get it done expression I've ever seen on a horse. Really great yeah. opening splash. Well, this goes all Castlevania. Like, first we were in Mega Man, and now I'm like, oh, I can hear that Castlevania music playing now. (laughs) After Strange passes through Death's Portal, he's on this trippy ride through the void where he encounters Death. And in this realm, if anything touches him, he dies. So Yeah, the horse eats it right away, just... Turns into a skeleton, but the sta- the saddle is still there. Yeah, I for like a second that. he's riding the, the skeleton horse, right? <laughs> Which would be a, I think a Gene Colan cover some issues later. Or maybe it's a Brunner cover with Colan inside. I'll have to look that up. But uh, Strange tries to fight death. He tries to escape death. He finds this little eternity-shaped void within the void that's like a little safe place. But finally, he just accepts it and dies. Then, flash to the Ancient One, who gives him a whole jib about, without the fear of death, he's going to live to be like 600 years old, like the Ancient One. And this is all one of the tests of the Sorcerer Supreme to shake off that fear of death. And then he's like, I gotta have a backup of myself just in case I get killed later on. <laughs> a weird secret test that we didn't tell you about. Yeah, yeah. this uh, Sorcerer Supreme seems like maybe not the greatest gig in the universe, you know? Issue number five begins with the Silver Surfer telling the bound, tortured Clea his origin story. 
And he was a cardinal at the Vatican, snubbed in becoming the next pope. He, he the buffest cardinal, may I suggest? I don't think he did. <laughs> that dude worked out a lot for a religious guy. He uses the Vatican's library to learn the secrets of dark magic, then leaves the church and travels around the world learning the dark arts of each religion and slaying his instructors along the way, that path leading him to the Ancient One. But the Ancient One's already dead, so Doctor Strange became his latest target. I like how none of those guys were good at screening their apprentices, apparently. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and the Ancient One either, right? He had Mordo. Yeah. <laughs> so while the Silver Dagger pontificates, Doc's essence seeps free of the amulet of Agamotto and desperately searches around for his body. Oh, there it is, and goes in, but he accidentally is reanimating himself in that headless wax dummy that was still on the ground. <laughs> And it's funny, too, because he, like, reaches for the head but kicks it away further, and uh, he just can't quite get it together. But the headless body attacks the silver dagger, who cuts off his arms and legs off like it's, a you know, Monty Python and the Holy Grail there, and then leaves to go drain the dragon. Yeah, that was the... <laughs> Reminded me of the Watchmen, I guess, where the rare superhero comics that talk about bathroom breaks in a serious manner that's not a joke or whatever. Clea reaches over and touches the chopped up torso, and Strange migrates his consciousness to her, giving her the power to break her chains and escape. Seems like a thing you would do. The dagger chases after her, but she reaches Strange's mansion, and the Doc is reborn inside his own body this time. And He's feeling better. He's not dying anymore. Never again. I also like how no one... These guys don't really stand out in New York City in the 70s. No, like not at all. A woman in a purple jumpsuit. And like a... the, the... Well, you... Clea even says, oh, you're not supposed to draw that, in, that much attention to yourself. And I'm like, ah! It's Grimwich Village. Yeah. The dagger is still armed with Doc's amulet, so he's able to break through the mansion's defenses and it and attacks both Strange and Clea, but they're able to combine their willpower and turn the amulet's eye back upon the dagger. And now he sees the truth, and he surrenders by entering the eye and... Agamotto's realm of unreality. It's like well, I got a lot of time talking to Mister Mind. Yeah, it's when the Doc entered the orb. It was just his soul that went in. Right, his dying body was left there, but the unreality of the dagger's own life being revealed to him drew him in body and soul. He's gone completely. So the Until four, next time. The four-issue arc ends with Strange telling Clea it's a fitting end and that the Silver Dagger hasn't the mystical experience to ever to escape. And then there's an awesome last panel of the Silver Dagger sitting Taylor-style on a mushroom cap while the Caterpillar happily chats and tokes away, enjoying his company forever. Yeah. Exactly, Steve. And we never heard from him again. <laughs> well, the Silver Dagger would return first in Marvel Team-Up. 
of all places. Issues 76 and 77 in the fall of 78, written by Chris Claremont. And that one's a doozy, too. Uh, involves Doc, Clea, Ms. Marvel, and, of course, Spider-Man. But it's actually not until the splash page of Doctor Strange, Sorcerer Supreme, uh, number, where is it, F uh, seven, from the spring of 1989, that's written by Roy and Dan Thomas, that the Caterpillar would finally be revealed as Agamotto himself. Didn't you cover that? I, I thought I remember you doing that series, listening to you I cover that series it's, in some depth. It's been 15 years. I may have. It's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, it's, a, it's a good little arc, and the art is nice and tasty. All right. One more quickie for you for 20 years. Also from the mind of Steve Englehart. Captain Marvel number 37 and 38 from December 1974 into January 1975. These are scripted by Englehart with both he and penciler Al Milgram co-plotting and Klaus Janssen providing the inks. And guys, this is the era where Captain Marvel and Rick Jones shared the same physical space. Kind of in a nod to the original Fawcett Captain Marvel, where Jones could turn into Captain Marvel, but that would leave his body floating in the negative zone until Marv would knock his nega wristbands together and they'd switch back. But they could still talk to each other. So there, was, there was always a dialogue when needed. Marv always got somebody to talk to. Rick Jones, my least favorite member of the Teen Brigade. <laughs> <laughs> well, in issue number 37, Ant-Man and the Wasp give Marv a lead into tracking his latest opponents, the Lunatic Legion. They're on the moon. But Rick has this big music performance coming up in a few days in Denver. So they got to wrap things up with the Legion quick. Rick goes and promises the promoter that he'll be there, but he can't like travel with the band and everything, but he'll be there. And the promoter's girl hands Rick a tab of acid. And uh, vitamin C, I believe, Steve, well, are very clear with a about that. Well, it's not very clear. It's a question mark, because when he asks what it is, she says, what do you think it is, vitamin C? It's <laughs> so although they call it vitamin C, it's, it's clear it's not. But Marvin... Jones can only exchange places for three hours at a time. But the trip to the moon is ten hours. So Rick borrows a spacesuit from the Avengers to survive. And then off Marvel goes to the moon. To the moon, Alice! Marv fights a robot called Nimrod in space. No, not that Nimrod, Kevin. Not that Nimrod. Man, Captain Marvel, though, does have a look... His concentration look looks pretty brutal. <laughs> <laughs> and while Rick is in the negative zone, Annihilus creeps up on him. And Rick reflexively hits him with a backhand, but his spacesuit has an exoskeleton on it. It's like a Stark Industries spacesuit. And Annihilus is shattered. He breaks up into a whole bunch of little Annihiluses. Would you rather fight uh, 
100 dog-sized horses or one horse-sized dog is what it reminded <laughs> me of, though. He breaks apart into little tiny Annihiluses who seem harmless, although really I think they would be pretty dangerous still. Yeah. I'm thinking Annihilation Rick, wave style. Rick might not have dropped the acid yet, but I'm I'm guessing Inglehart and Milgram did <laughs> <laughs> at this point. Floating around in the negative zone, Rick wishes he brought his guitar or something. Oh, wait, he's got that vitamin C. So he takes it. Meanwhile, Marv reaches the moon, but he doesn't stick the landing. <laughs> he's like, what's wrong with me? Am I getting sick? Maybe I'm the one who needs Rick's vitamin C, he ponders. Yeah, the tingling in my jaw was a hint that maybe it wasn't vitamin C after all. Meanwhile, while, while Marv is thinking this, there's a superimposed panel of Rick tripping his balls off with a smile so wide that his jaw is going to hurt in the morning. <laughs> and Marv's reality is now altered too. And he just walked into the Watcher Citadel that's full of Kirby tech, which is trippy oh enough. You know, with, you know, with with just normal perception, that's going to be wild enough. But <laughs> on vitamin C, it's it's pretty intense for Marv. Then the Watcher attacks him on behalf of the Lunatic Legion. And what? I, I, right? I feel like now I'm the one who's tripping here or something. Well, and they they. I love that they chose to do Big Baby Watcher. Like, there's the, a couple ways to do yeah. it. With the thick legs. With the thick legs and looks like he's wearing a diaper. Like, it's a real, it's a fun watcher, you know. You gotta have, there's a couple different models. This one is always a couple of laughs. Marv tries to fight. He tries to run. But the watcher bests him and turns him over to the Lunatic Legion as the issue ends. In mm. issue 38, Marvell is to be executed in an electric chair type scenario that's attuned to his brainwaves, but he escapes by switching to Rick, who the machine is... No way! Well, the machine isn't calibrated for Rick, so... They now, ah, they gotta wait three hours, right? There's also a great multi-page recounting of the whole Kree-Kotati origin with the Skrulls and everything that we... Just revisited a few episodes ago with the whole Celestial Madonna stuff that also was penned by Englehart. Yeah, I was happy to see those guys again. And cool to see this long ago of a recount and to see how they've kept it even through that whole Empire thing that happened a few years ago and event and whatnot. It's a cool part of the history of the Marvel Universe. Well, that was interesting that the Lunatic Legion knew it was a three-hour window. Like, I don't know if Marv was advertising that, but maybe you should. it felt very old school when, like, Iron Man would need to plug his chest in and Spider-Man right. ran out of web fluid every... Uh... Yeah, I mean, I didn't even remember that aspect of their change until reading this issue. But cosmic awareness, Steve, it's what's going to help you. Marv recovers from his trip in the negative zone, or does he? And when Rick's bands clank together, returns to our universe and kicks Legion butt. I mean, he's more powerful than ever now. Good old vitamin C. (laughs) 
<laughs> mixed with cosmic awareness, Steve. You need that second ingredient, kid. So don't go well, running out to get vitamin C. Well, he and Rick are now combined, so it's like the power of two tripping dudes. <laughs> yeah, you can play a guitar as well, so you know that's really handy. And, and you know and, those hard tripping heroes. <laughs> after their mind expansion, they don't even need the bands to change, right? They're they're like totally one now. Marv takes out the Legion. And when only the Watcher is left, the Watcher kind of stops things and deems himself unworthy, signals for his brethren, and is taken away to stand trial as the issue ends. It's going to be the What? First... Another trial? No, not, not another. The first trial of the Watcher. Oh! I mean, he's had more trials than Venom. <laughs> That's bad. <laughs> Maybe you can get Matt Murdock as his attorney, Steve. <laughs> and yeah. Spider-Man as the reluctant witness. I don't know. You might want She-Hulk, though. She might have more cosmic uh, lawyering experience. Especially later in her career, right? For sure. Yeah. But that's a fun couple of issues, right? <laughs> yeah. I didn't read, other than the Starlin stuff, I admittedly didn't read a lot of post-Starlin Inglehart. Uh, Captain Marvel. I had a few issues, so I had read those, but I I wasn't a month-to-month reader, so it was fun to jump back into his little world and see what it was like. All right. Yeah, it was a fun, great, like a crazy cosmic uh, madness with the Watcher and this lunatic legion and all that. Like Even Rick Jones couldn't bring it down, so... Big and thumbs up. These books are all on the Unlimited, so if you want to find out what happened to the Watcher, you know where to go. I'm sure he comes off okay. He uh, always comes out on top. <laughs> yes. Somehow. Some way. All right, that's our 420 episode. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks, Andrew. As always, this is made fun by talking about it with you two knuckleheads. Next episode, we start with the first of our two October episodes, digging on Halloween-appropriate material. So, you've been warned. Whoa, I think this is going to be a good one. (laughs) (laughs) Oh boy, hold on to your seats. This is going to be a good one. Wait, so there's still issues of Tomb of Dracula left, Steve? (laughs) No, you would have to bring on a guest for that. Well, the magazine actually is. (laughs) All right, until Doctor Strange draws his powers from vitamin C instead of magic, make mine marvel. Later. <laughs>